Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Startup Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures. This is the show where we interview entrepreneurs and investors on the stories and catalysts of their startup successes and failures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker. Today's guest is Mark Quesada, co-founder and CTO of Hobnob. Mark is one of the most talented full-stack developers and startup minds I know. He's actually founded multiple companies. He's built apps and websites that have been used or seen by lots and lots of people. And he's been a major asset in our Hawaii startup ecosystem for nearly a decade. Some of my favorite pieces of this interview include Mark getting his first contract, telling the story about how he built a website for his high school teacher, uh, what it was like for him working for Pierre Midyard, the founder of eBay. Uh, make sure and stick around to the very end where we get a really great anecdote uh, and some stories that he had about working with Pierre. Uh, finally, there, we spent a lot of time in the interview talking about his different startup endeavors, including Fast Customer Minded, but I did want to actually highlight a quick gem of a section. Now, one of the neat things about Hobnob is that they are a mobile first, uh, phone first, really, uh, building off of phone numbers as the primary uh, mechanism to send invites, and that's their uh, thing of record versus email. So it's a very different um, approach than many other startups have done. And there come with that technical challenges. Uh, we talk a lot about that. So if you're um, if you're a developer or somebody that's interested in working off the Twilio platform or have anything related to um, to the SMS world, then man, Mark's your guy, and he has a lot of great uh, info that he chats about in this interview. So I had a wonderful time, and I know you will also enjoy my conversation with my good friend Mark Quesada. We're live in living color, Ooh. living audio. Is that a thing? It is now. It is. Mark Quesada, you're your best radio voice. Welcome to the Startup Catalyst podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, this is <clears throat> about 15 feet away from your desk. Is. It is. It's, very, <laughs> it's a very comfortable environment for me. Familiar, yes, very right. familiar. You've had many calls in this, uh, <laughs> in this little room as we're surrounded by the most ridiculous uh, uh, business model canvases. And uh, we have a wonderful... Um, Ross painting over here. Would you call that as, uh, abstract art? Or? <laughs> it's, sure. um, you would, did we ever talk about my, I had one credit remaining in college and I took a art class at the Lena Kona Art School and <laughs> I was supposed to do this like uh, beach scene. It was like a landscape mm -hmm. and I was so bad at like drawing the, the guy sitting on the beach looking at the ocean that halfway through the class I turned it vertical and just did an abstract painting <laughs> and no one was the wiser huh? oh no my professor like he like kind of walked over and he like he did it he oh, like he turned did. it up and uh he actually has an art gallery on bishop street now his oh, name's wow. aaron rose that's crazy. pretty crazy well mark thanks for coming on the show today um really stoked obviously you know we've kind of talked ad nauseum for many years about uh technology and startups and uh, highly highly respect uh your kind of career and opinion whatnot so really stoked to be able to share some of your backgrounds, some of your experiences with um, the audience. So maybe we can just kind of get started with two questions, I guess, maybe wrapped up into one. One, how did you kind of get interested in on engineering, technology, and obviously kind of startups? And then how did you end up in Hawaii? Uh, wow, those are good questions. Uh, the first one, in terms of engineering and technology, um, is really mainly just you know tinkering as a kid. Uh, I think my dad brought home uh, an old, um, it was an IBM something. It was like super old and I just, I was hooked. You know, I was trying to figure out the internals and typing away, figuring out what was on it and, you know, trying to play games on it and stuff. And that was kind of the, the genesis. It was just this magic box, you know, you could type stuff into you and, and it would type stuff back at you in <laughs> a sense, you know. Um, and then from there, just sort of devouring any any information I could find on um, technology. You know, at the time, pre-internet, in a sense, uh, essentially, it was really hard to to figure stuff out. You know, you really had to do a lot of research or find stuff offline in the real world or find people that knew about stuff in order to to learn. You know, so, so did you have like kind of a mentor in the early days? Was your dad kind of that? Or? Um, not really. I mean, my dad would show me stuff if he could. Um, <laughs> I really think that was the the sort of age I, I actually learned to read manuals because that was the only written, you know, information I could find about the stuff that came on this box, you know. Um, so I ended up doing that. And then, you know, early days of the Internet was just 
all this information to devour and it was just it was amazing so that was kind of where I got my start yeah do you like remember a specific day when you first went on the internet you know I I don't not a specific day um I kind of do the first thing I remember experiencing on the internet was actually a chat room it was like I forget what it was called um it was super early days and I was at my, my buddy's house who had the internet and I was just like <laughs> what is this? There's a bunch of people and these are real people. You can talk to them. And, um, it was just the strangest thing, you know, but super interesting. So how did you end up? You grew up in Southern California. Yeah. You went to college there and now you're in Hawaii and you've been here how long now? Uh, this will be almost, I think the year nine coming year up nine. this, this summer actually will be year nine. Yeah. So pretty crazy. Um, yes, you know, grew up in Southern California and I think at some point, you know, a few years after college or a year after college, uh, my sister actually moved out here. We had some, some family friends out here, and she came to stay out with them for a while and uh, decided to stay. So, of course, being the good brother I was, I, I figured she needed to see me. Um, <laughs> so I came to visit her for like 10 weeks or something and ended up not really leaving. And, yeah, met you my wife. You just kind of fell in love with yeah. the place and fell in love with the girl. <laughs> exactly. Uh, met Tiff, and then, you know, we've been married almost nine years, or together nine years, something like that. Now, yeah. were you kind of, like, doing software development on the side at that point already? Yeah, so that, that was actually the the way I, I got out here, and I could um, live out here pretty easily. So I was already, I mean, I'd been doing contract development for a long time. Um, so coming out here was really easy. I could, you know, manage my clients from here and just get jobs and surf in the morning and do work at night or whatever. Um, so it's really sort of easy living <laughs> at that point. So you would, how did you kind of get your first contract? Did it just like start with somebody being like, oh, Mark's good at websites. And then they were like, oh, you did a good enough job. You should talk to my friend. Like, how did it even start on your contract <laughs> work? Actually, the first job I ever had, I somehow swindled my history teacher in high school <laughs> to pay me like $3,000 to do a website for our, our history no class. No way. Yeah, no <laughs> joke. <laughs> A hustler from 17 years old. I mean, I look back at that. I'm like, why did he agree to that? That's <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah, it's like the big thing was he wanted to be able to accept digital submissions for homework. And at the time, it was actually unheard of. It was wow. he was super forward thinking in that. Did you track mindset. this guy down? <coughs> I should see if he'll actually. pay you another three thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> should. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the, the first taste of it and i'm like wow people will pay a lot of money for this stuff you oh know? that must have been yeah. insane like as a i think i was 15 how long did it old. take you you know maybe yeah not that long <laughs> less than 100 hours yeah i think i was literally 15 years old and somebody <laughs> hands you a three thousand dollar check and you're like this is pretty awesome you know I spent yeah 10 hours and i love this doing this stuff yeah. right <laughs> yeah so that was that was a pretty awesome experience cool but, yeah now, your Mirth Lab was kind of your, it was your brand that you were uh, kind of going under, and you were blogging pretty consistently for quite a while on your craft. Was. yeah. Was that, how did that kind of contribute to, uh, that was more for yourself, more for uh, getting out there in the development community, for getting clients? What was kind of your thought process behind that? Um, you know, I, it's a really good question. I, I originally started it because I realized that a lot of times I'd come across a solution to something um, that was really hard, hard fought, hard won. You know, I'd have to figure out a lot of stuff. I'd have to really dig through um, documentation or whatever. And then it was just nowhere online. It wasn't really easy to find. So I really started just kind of writing these things down because they took me a long time to figure out. And I wanted to, doc to document them. And then I wanted to be able to reference them later because a lot of times I would run into the same problem and I'd forget, you know. Um, it's kind of like Indiana Jones, you know, he wrote his diary because uh, <laughs> he would always forget. Um, oh, his dad, right? His dad, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what that was. And um, it just kind of gave me some space to write about stuff and think about stuff. And I mean, I wish I would have kept it up. It's just, you know, when you have so many other things, it's kind of the first thing to drop off. Yeah, because I remember you telling me once, you know, you were getting a decent amount of traffic coming yeah, in. You know, it was. Like, I don't know, 5,000 or something, or even more yeah. hits per month. And um, apparently a, a, a lot of other people had the same problems I did, so. Well, it's it fairly reason. early on, too. Like you said, probably now, I mean, I don't even know. Stack Overflow, yeah. was it even around? Yeah, like stuff the like thing. That? At the time, Stack Overflow hadn't really taken off and was mm -hmm. probably just starting. So once that came along, I think a lot of those, like, 
one-off dev blogs sort of died. A lot of the knowledge was being transferred to that to that platform. Uh, people still do it now, but I think you know just having it all in one place and Stack Overflow is just a really big deal. You know. So when when you're kind of doing the contract development work, you're obviously having a grand time. You're in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're making good money. That's awesome. Um, and then you kind of well. I'm trying to uh, go back in my history of, of, of the mark, but um, when did you start working for Pierre and Civil, Civil Beat slash Pierre News? at the time. Jeez, um, I forget the day. I'm really bad with dates, so. It's been a while now. It's been a long time, yeah, maybe five years, six years. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, mainly because it sounded interesting, and hmm. um, I didn't need to do it. I actually took a pretty massive, like, pay cut to, to go work there. Um, but when somebody comes to you and is like, hey, do you want to work with Pierre, Mid Pierre Midiar, you don't really turn them down flat without, you know, going to see what it's all about. Um, How so did that kind of opportunity come up? Um, you know, it was actually a friend of a friend. There was, like, a local tech meetup. I had met a few friends through that and, like, really one of the earliest tech meetups. And, um, was this, like, a tech hooey? I don't even thing? think it was Tech Hui. It might have been Manoa Geeks. I don't know if you remember. Oh, really? Yeah, like super early. Um, so, you know, this guy knew I did stuff, like dev work, and he knew they were looking for, for people. So uh, I ended up, you know, interviewing with them. And it's funny because uh, he asked me how the interv interview process was going. And he, I'm like, oh, you know, I think it went okay. I'm getting my, you know, I'm having a second interview next week. And he's like, oh, you're in. Like, they haven't given anybody else a second interview, so that's <laughs> a pretty good sign. I'm like, oh, cool. So, yeah. What was that interview like? Did they make you do, like, the, the nostalgia, like, whiteboard <laughs> prod coding project? Fizzbuzz it up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That would have been easier. No, they actually <laughs> did make me do a coding challenge, which was pretty interesting. Um, but they it wasn't in front of them. I, I was able to do oh, it okay. sort of offline or, you know, after the fact. So, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, and you were there for oh, geez, two and a half years or so yep. before About you kind of years, almost three years. Yep. And then minded. Yes. Was a startup weekend project. Well, technically, kind fast of? customer was next, but then yeah, minded was after that. Oh, fast customer was the next. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I went to fast customer. Um, I think that was a couple years too, and then minded was after that. So the co-founders at uh, fast customer. Um, and, you know, you kind of being along for a wild ride with that company yeah. over, you know, a pretty good period of time as a 500 startups portfolio yep. group, right? Yep. And, um, you know, you originally came in as just part of on the development team and then kind of grew into, you know, the opportunity with the CTO. Is that kind of how it happened? Uh, yeah. Basically, you know, when <clears throat> it's, it's funny, actually, Aaron Dragishan was a friend from Hawaii and he had actually moved on. Um, he moved to the mainland and you know, we ended up reconnecting and, and he was looking for people. Uh, so I came on, came on as one of the developers, um, ended up being, you know, lead developer and then sort of growing with the company after that um, for a long time. And yeah, kind of working my way up in that sense. What did you, what did you kind of take away from the fast customer experience? I mean, was it like growing like crazy or was there different challenges that were there obviously working remotely, um, you know, it's something you had exposure and experience with running kind of your own projects and hiring people out, but reporting to somebody, how, how did that kind of remote setup work for you? And then how was it like working for the company? Yeah, it was, it was my first like real remote work, like on an actual team experience. I'd done obvi obviously remote work as like a contractor, um, but it was a very different feel to go from being, you know, very free in terms of schedule to something where you're you're free in a sense because you're at home, but you're really, you know, you're still kind of chained to the desk in a sense. Um, but having coming off, come off Civil Beat where I was actually like showing up to a job every day, um, that was actually a, a pretty big bump in freedom. Um, but yeah, it was just really different. The, the team was amazing. I really loved working with that team. Um, really super great, super smart guys. A couple of them now are actually at Apple and, and doing pretty amazing things there um, on the iOS team. Really? And the Apple TV team. So that was really cool. Um, I think it was just very different in terms of startup. You know, the, the first startup I experienced was Civil Beat, and it's hard to even call that a startup, right? Because it doesn't really have, I mean, when you have someone like Pierre Midiar at the helm, it's 
it's not quite that you know early stage super you know uh, there wasn't that, that hunger thing. maybe there wasn't that it's like hunger. how much more yeah. money is there is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it was just it was very different right so you go from that to something that's super scrappy and uh you know we were, i think able to raise a little bit of money not a whole lot um for fast customer and you know then you have just this this timeline this ticking clock and it's like okay we got to make something work and it's got to work within this time um so that was a really different really cool experience you know yeah because you're along and we talk about maybe the term vanity metrics a little bit right you know top 10 or top 100 coolest apps you know mm. you had some pretty good press traction yeah able to get this story out a lot of downloads but maybe not a well, business model that worked. Well, there was no business worked. model, so <laughs> that was that was her. There's this uh, thing in a business heel. called a model. Yeah, we kind of forgot that part of the whole business thing. Um, well, Aaron Dragichin's a brilliant guy, from what you've told me, and I'm sure yeah, yeah it's kind of even the days. Where no, it's like, there was definitely you know there were plans and different business models we had come up with. Um, it's just none of them really worked, and it's really unfortunate actually because you know the models we had kind of come up with really centered around people caring about what we were doing, which was, you know, saving mm. time and saving sort of the pain of waiting on hold. It's a great product. It's I mean, an amazing it, product. The and value proposition is like, yeah. oh, yeah. Exactly. But the, the hard part is it's really only a pain point when it's a pain point. And that's mm. when you need to wait on hold. And for most people, that's not an often enough pain point to, to separate them from their money, <laughs> right? So, um, and then we were kind of tough in a, tough spot because then we're like well maybe we can sell the businesses there's actually a business product that we we launched and was um well received and it just you know we kind of split our focus and then it, we really were not able to make any headway in either direction in, in enough time before we ran out of money so it was unfortunate but it was you know pretty amazing ride <laughs> while it lasted yeah and so you've kind of been involved in various startup weekends over the years and even you know, kind of your approach to that, to give back to the community, to go through the experience, and obviously even an idea that you're like, oh, maybe this is something that would be worth working on. And and this is where I kind of jumped the gun and, and went straight to Minded, uh, where you and Tiff did the <laughs> startup weekend however many years ago. Yeah. And then Blue Startups, this crazy accelerator here in Hawaii, yeah. was doing a first cohort, and you're like, let's apply on a whim? Or how did that kind of... Yeah, that was weird. ...conversation um, go about? <laughs> well, yeah, we did. So we did Minded as a startup weekend project, um, you know, really mainly because I was trying to get Tiff to, to be involved and and she was uh, working at the food bank at the time. Yeah, she actually, I believe she was. Yeah, she was still working at that time. And um, it was something where I'm like, you know, I think Tiff would love this, but until she actually gets in there and experiences it, um, it it's just you can't really explain it to somebody, you know. So and we we tell the story. It's just really funny because she was literally, you know, just like, I can't believe you want to go work. For you want to, you know, get off work on Friday and then go work for three days straight <laughs> and then go back to work on Monday. Like, why do you want to do that? It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, so it was really tough to get her, to get her there. But once we did, you know, she loved it. Obviously, it's just so much creative freedom and, and the ability to build something from nothing. Um, so yeah, I think we did it two or three times actually, just yeah. just for fun. So yeah, so let's uh, can um, see if my memory serves me right. From Minded to Namehub. Yes, name Echo. Well, that That's was right. another one. That was fun. I think that was it. Is that just it? Just two. Yeah. Yeah. We've been to several other ones, but right, just to, right. to observe. <laughs> yeah. So from uh, the experience with Minded, you know, this is a, you know, this that's the company you went through Blue Startups with. Mm -hmm. And maybe talk a little bit about kind of your experience trying to get that company off the ground and the model that was there. Yeah. You know, you're, you're kind of meeting, you know, you know transitioning to Hobnob eventually, you know, uh, meeting Tina. Yep. And so... But minded, minded. So minded. why didn't it work? <laughs> um, because it was a bad idea. Um, <laughs> it was your wife's idea. You realized that? <laughs> no. It was our idea. We came up with it. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was just um, it was a big idea in the sense that you would need so much infrastructure and so much knowledge and data. Uh, really, someone like Amazon is, is more prepared and and to do that type of product, you know. And what we found at the in the end was that we were just going up, you know, head to head with someone like Amazon, which is just not tenable for for where we were at. Um, but to go back to the beginning a little bit, um, I think we were really at the time, you know, faced with the crossroads. We we wanted to stay in Hawaii, but at the same time, we just saw there wasn't enough opportunity here at the time. You know, this is really pre 
pretty early days in, in terms of, you know, Startup Paradise or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, you know, at the time I was thinking, well, let's go to San Francisco. Let's figure out something there and, and we'll just see what happens out there. So I actually had a job lined up. We had already sort of, I had been working for the company for a while on contracts. And then the whole Blue Startups thing sort of started, you know, started uh, getting off the ground. And we went to a couple of the info sessions and stuff. And and I told Tiff, well, you know, why don't we at least apply? And and we can see what happens. We can always turn it down. You know, there's nothing that changes what we're, our direction uh, if we just apply. And so we did. And we ended up getting in. So then we were just like, oh, now what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> like, do we go? Do we stay? Um, and it really came down to wanting to invest, like two things, I think, wanting to invest locally and wanting to know that, you know, if we want to end up here, we, we do want there to be some sort of startup scene or technology scene, uh, something that, you know, my kids could, could contribute to and be part of and just open up that opportunity here locally. And if people don't stay and do it, it's just not going to get done, right? So maybe we could help be part of that solution instead of just running away and hoping that somebody will, somebody else will do it. Uh, so that was one thing. And then I think the other thing was just, you know, we could go, I could go be an engineer for somebody in San Francisco, or I could kind of stay and try to be an entrepreneur, right? Which was kind of the, the mm. end goal. And uh, I ended up, you know, talked to several people and got feedback. And one of my buddies who is in San Francisco was just like, look, you know, I'm a founder. He's like, I don't go out of my way to teach engineers how to be entrepreneurs. He's like, that's just not how it works. You know, you're hired to do a job. You know, there's there's some learning you get kind of just on the fringe of being there. He's like, but if you want to be an engineer, I mean, an entrepreneur, just go be an entrepreneur. You know, don't try to work your way in through being an engineer. And that was just like that kick in the pants I kind of needed. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just to learn, you got to kind of just jump in and, and dive mm -hmm. in and do it. So that was really what tipped the scales and what, you know, made us choose to, to stay and go into Blue Stars. Wow. I'd never heard you kind of describe it that way. That's a cool, um, cool story. Yep. So for, for those that don't know, kind of give the, the quick elevator pitch for Minded. What was the idea? So Minded was a gift match a smart gift matching service <laughs> so it's taking you back isn't it yeah it's <laughs> <You're so weird. laughs> kind of tripping me up um yeah so the idea would be that you we would match uh, intelligently match products to people that was kind of our, our short uh one minute pitch um we would do the the hard work of curating product on our side and then you know essentially filling out profiles for products and then you as a, a user, you could log in and kind of choose one of your friends from your social network, like Facebook. And we would try to mine data uh, from Facebook and match that to the person. And you could also add your own custom you know, data, like, oh, this person likes hiking or this person likes whiskey or, or whatever. And then we would do our best to sort of you know, cross-match them. And uh, it actually worked pretty well. The, the thing that really worked that we, we realized after the fact was that the star of the platform was actually the curation. So all the products that were on there were actually just Amazon products. But what was really interesting about it was that we were sort of narrowing down the most interesting products to just a, a subset of very interesting, you know, a very interesting few. And that's what people loved. And, and um, I think if we would have kept going with it, that's essentially what we would have turned into, just like a really curated uh, sort of online magazine of the best products on Amazon. And that's actually what canopy is i don't know there's another service mm. called canopy and i look at canopy now i'm like oh this is what minded would have become it's uh hyper curated you can kind of comment and like products and stuff but they basically just pick the best stuff from amazon and surface it on a beautiful interface and you can kind of be social about it with your friends so that was kind of a cool validation point after the fact that you know oh that, that could have been what it was but um when we looked at it it was just not interesting the direction we had to go at the time so that's why we ended up deciding to to shut it down hmm. now i know it wasn't like a clean break from minded to <laughs> hey hobnob not. how yeah. awesome um but uh let's just kind of jump straight into the hobnob story so i know uh you know your wife and uh, yourself co-founded it with uh, with tina and tina fitch and um so how did the idea come about um that's interesting so I think the genesis was really, you know, Tina was working on a photo sharing app um, called YumiCam, 
and you know we were sort of winding down uh, minded and we had met through blue startups she was actually kind of an adopted mentor of ours and um you know we were somehow giving her feedback on on Yumicam, and i think the crystal clear moment was was just uh, we kind of realized or what i realized was that people really don't want to use another photo sharing tool right it's not that's not how people think about sharing photos they really think about photos as like moments and um it's hard to to get people to use another service when it's really just like oh just text them to me or just email them to me right like <laughs> i don't want to have to use this download this thing to get photos um so that was i think maybe the spark and then a few iterations later you know tina kind of thought about it and and uh we really kind of came together and we're like, oh, you know, an, an event container really makes a lot of sense. You know, you think about things in terms of events like, you know, the Christmas party or um, the bachelorette party or something. That's how you think about moments. And then through that, you can say, well, here's all the photos that capture that moment or that it's like an archive of that of that memory. Um, so minded sort of that was a genesis of minded. Wow. I mean, hobnob. <laughs> um, I, I messed you up there. Too many words. <laughs> yeah, so hobnob was really kind of, that was the genesis. We are like, oh, let's start at the event level, right? Let's talk about where people experience moments, and, and that's really an event. Um, so we're like, how can we make getting together with people just really efficient and really easy and really kind of fun, right, in a way that it's not currently? Um, and so we, we had some ideas around that, and then it took us probably a year before we actually got back to like the photo collection part, but that was a goal for us. We wanted to get to a point where we could say, y and you can actually collect photos and aggregate those moments into these you know sort of memory archives. Um, and yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's how that came So you, you got together and you're like, let's create the world's best event startup. <laughs> so basically let's rewrite Evite and get rid of emails. <laughs> And make it beautiful and elegant and with your core friends. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, the really basic principle was that, you know, email is just not, it's, first of all, it's dying, right? Um, if you look at any kid this, you know, recently, they're not going to even care about email or maybe know about email or they probably don't have an email. Um, so it's just a dying communication method. And you look at what people are using and it's really, it's like text messaging, right? That's like the next thing. So we, we thought about it. We're like, how can we sort of double down on that? Because, you know, the phone numbers you have in your, in your, in your address book are close personal connections, right? They're going to be much closer than an email connection, potentially. Um, they're going to be the people you actually hang out with, the people you actually text and, and sort of get together with. So we thought, let's start there. Let's start at like the the real social network which is your address book right and um from there we just a, a bunch of ideas around that kind of kind of manifested right so uh if we start with there there's a really intimate personal connections and that kind of dictated the original version of hobnob it's like we're talking about five to ten people on an event something that's just maybe just larger than you would use a group text for um but still smallish in the sense that it's like a really close-knit community. And that's what we targeted first. Now, of course, we do like much larger events, but um, that's how it started. So yeah, I'm really curious. I want to kind of spend some time talking about the, even just the, the difference in <laughs> the technology stack for building on uh, SMS, you know, and going through a completely different, you know, mm -hmm. email is servers and that's kind of pretty well documented. Everybody understands that. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's what people do. That's yep. what they use. That's everything that, you know, the unique identifiers for your database, like yep. all of that is email. <laughs> yeah. So you're doing phone numbers. That's funny because I have all these like horror, horror stories running through my head about how we had to overcome these like default you know, things that were built by default for email, like we just couldn't use. Such so. as? Um, you know, like we use Rails, and if anybody has used Rails, there's like plugins for account management, right? There's like Devise, right, where you can basically bring in a full-on user account management system into your app and not have to worry about it. And we couldn't use that because we have no emails. So, you know, there was just really this sort of foundational change for us that we had to really rethink how we built it and think about SMS as like a first rate delivery method, um, just like email. And like, how do we do that? How do we, um, well, there's so many constraints, <laughs> there's a ton of constraints. And, and honestly, we found out a lot of them the hard way, you know, we, really? 
the day we launched, we found out that, hey, by the way, you actually can't send more than five text messages per hour on, on this one phone number or you'll get blocked by the carriers. So we had to oh, That was the day you launched? Yeah, the day we launched, of <laughs> course, because we hadn't been able to test it at scale, right? And uh, so we launched, and then we get tech crunched, and we're like, oh, crap, why aren't we sending text messages? Like, what's happening right now? Um, so anyway, so yeah, so those are one of those trial by fire things that you just don't... You was just that a Twilio know. thing, or...? It was, yeah, so... Um, it was a Twilio thing. It was sort of documented, but it just was not obvious. And until you you run into that problem, you don't think to to read the documentation in that specific light, you know. Yeah, like so you don't know what you don't know, yeah. and you know so you hadn't done this before in terms yeah. of like building at scale on yeah. a SMS Twilio. Exactly, and and on top of that too, the 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 product even on Twilio that we took advantage of was actually really new. So Twilio had been doing. SMS messaging for a long time, but they hadn't been doing MMS messaging, which is picture messaging. Um, yeah. That was a very new product over long codes. Um, they had been doing it over short codes for a while. And so we were one of the first people to actually use that. And it, and it just happened to like be launched on Twilio maybe a month before we went out. So wow. Hobnob would be very different today if that hadn't, hadn't happened because, you know, one of our key differentiators is that we send the flyer with the initial text message invite. Um, and originally that's not how it, how it was because the technology just wasn't there. So, so how did you kind of, like you're sitting there and you're not sending text messages and you got tech crunch and like, so what yeah. did you do to work around or So after panicking for <laughs> a few moments, yeah. I mean, we, we ended up getting someone on, um, on Twilio, you know, on the horn and, and they kind of explained what's going on and, and we were able to, once we knew what the problem was, we, we knew how to fix it. So we were able to, you know, deploy more numbers and, and kind of rotate through sending via various different um, origination long codes. So, I mean, to most people, those are just phone numbers. Sorry. To me, that, that means a specific <laughs> thing. Just different phone numbers that we had to send to in order to kind of reach a certain scale. Yeah. So what's the scale? Like, in terms of traction, like, um, you know, so the, the early days building on this platform, brand new for Twilio, you've um you're sending the mms on this long code like and obviously you've been able to kind of grow with them i think twilio just like filed for an ipo like last week yeah they're doing amazing um it seems like they're doing crazy good work and you'd had experience with twilio mm -hmm. from fast customers is that right that's right yeah so part of the reason why um like i think hobnob sort of made sense to me is because we had spent so much time in the telephony uh, at fast customer you know, we've yeah. done a ton of work uh, first on Twilio and then sort of off Twilio. Once we we hit a certain scale, we just it wasn't tenable in terms of cost. Uh, so we ended up building our own sort of mini telephony, like mini Twilio, basically just for fast customer. Um, and so that was like a huge mind bender because I had never done telephony stuff and it didn't really make sense to me at the time. But you know, after going through that, you have all this knowledge now, right? And so. It was just kind of serendipitous, but at the time I'm thinking, wow, I have all this knowledge built up from fast customer, and now we want to do this other thing that's you know very yeah, similar. Yeah, I mean you're you know? like the like one of the perfect engineers, I don't know how to say in the world, but like because yeah. it's very relevant, it's very recent, and you uh, can can really kind of just take that tacit knowledge and exactly. start yeah. leaps and bounds <laughs> beyond where you would have to do, you know. Yeah, so that was it. just it was an amazing sort of prep work for for Hobnob. Um, so after you know being able to integrate that into into Hobnob and kind of know how things are supposed to to work, um, it was just kind of I wouldn't say smooth sailing, but I had a lot of base knowledge that really helped. And and uh, you know with Twilio's new platform offerings, it was just like a no brainer. No one was doing this, so it made it really interesting to, huh. to people who are using the service at first. You know, these man, that's really cool. I can I can totally see like the CTO of Hobnob at uh, some major conference talking about their Twilio <laughs> build out um, someday. So yeah, the initial like building for scale on the platform, is that kind of been the biggest hurdle? I'm sure there's been many along the way, but you know, you feel confident that when you're on somebody else's kind of network for, and maybe my terminology is wrong, mm -hmm. but you know, you have to have Twilio yeah. as a key partner for your business. Yeah, right now, work. I mean, um, I think if Twil Twilio went away tomorrow, we'd, we'd figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, Twitter, for example, they went out and got all the contracts for the carriers themselves. And so they have, I don't know if you remember, but Twitter used to be all SMS based, right? So they have yeah. this huge network of, of, um, of contracts with all these different carriers. So I know it's possible. I know we could do it. Um, 
but in terms of scaling and rapid growth, like Twilio is just the easiest option, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think, you know, we're a huge proponent of Twilio. They're doing a great job and, and generally, you know, they do some pretty cool stuff where we have some beta stuff, beta access that they've given us to new products and they're really working hard to, to continue really to innovate cool. on the platform. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. like one of the things they're trying to do is uh, Facebook messenger integration. They're really just trying to be a one-stop shop for, for messaging and for, for telephony and huh. they're doing a pretty amazing job. So well, it's pretty phenomenal because, you know, we talk, you know, and kind of the Sultan Ventures who we had about group about, um, an importance of the messaging as the killer app on mm -hmm. the phone. I think Benedict, uh, I think it's Benedict Arnold from A16Z, you know, kind of talks a lot about, you know, that being the kind of uh, really killer platform for, yeah. for these companies, WhatsApp, uh, and the biggest social yep. is going to be centered around the messaging. And, um, you know, getting, let's talk about getting your first user. So you've been tech crunched, <laughs> you've had this, like, you know, yeah. you'd assume like you're going to have a little bit of a hockey stick from there and probably a fall off in terms of retention and usage. But yeah. when did the kind of that organic growth start? And with that, you know, cause you're, the, the inviting is inherently a viral model yep. in and of itself. And yep. so I guess it's a two part question. How did you kind of end up growing? Did that model just run? Mm -hmm. Did you even, or did you think about this in the idea before? And you're like, oh, this is amazing. Like we have a virality product built in mm -hmm. to this, you know, this yeah. thing. Yeah, so that was definitely a very, you know, conscious choice. And we, we knew that going in that um, something like an invite product where, where users are electing to invite their friends to the service because it's a utility. That's, that's a huge win. And that's sort of one of those things as a product that you really, it's really hard to buy that or to win that. Right. So because it's built into our service, um, that was just a huge, you know, w a huge way for us to sort of jump ahead of, of other services or other service types, I should say. Um, so we definitely, you know, from the get go, try to, to look at those viral loops and try to close them and figure out ways how we could get, you know, guests, for example, who are invited to a previous event to become hosts, right? That's for us, that's the viral loop. Um, if you can convert somebody who had a great experience as a guest into a host, then they're going to share it with their friends and then potentially their guests will converse to hosts, right? So it just kind of feeds into itself. Um, so... I think in terms of like first user, uh, man, it's been a while, but I'm trying to think of, of uh, how that went. We did a lot of private testing um, for a good amount of time. There was some really rough edges on the product uh, at first. And you know, so after like a pretty extensive private beta test, we ended up opening it up. And um, really, we just put it on the App Store, started inviting people ourselves to stuff. I think uh, the local, you know, Hawaii com community actually was a pretty big user of the app at first, more than the mainland, and just because people knew us and they knew we were working right. on it. Um, but you know, definitely after the TechCrunch article came out, and technically we launched on Product Hunt first. Um, and oh we yeah, were I forgot about that. Yeah, so that was actually pretty pretty cool. And from that, we got a, a decent amount of like initial traction and just people sort of playing with it. And really, for a long time, I mean, six months, 10 months, something like that, we didn't really do anything to try to, to increase that. We just wanted to watch it grow. So it was kind of a slow burn. And, and um, part of that was also due to the fact that we wanted to watch it scale, right? We didn't want to pour gasoline on it yet because we were unsure about how this text messaging delivery uh, platform could scale. Um, so we were able to kind of grow with it slowly in that sense. And, and that was wise i will say uh, so this was all during the point where you hadn't raised a dime of funding right necessarily yeah. right yeah so uh kind of um you know how, how many users do you have now like what's your traction numbers Ooh, I don't that's know publicly I, I stated don't know if i can share that actually honestly i really don't know if i can share yeah that. <laughs> so you've had you've had growth let's say yeah. that you haven't lost uh i'll say uh, that people. we've we've been growing a lot faster recently i mean i think we have we've sent probably 50% of our total number of invites in the last couple of months, right? All time. Really? Yeah. So we've been, especially the last couple of months. Oh, we've been congratulations. Growing. That's yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, so yeah. So scaling from like nothing to that has been interesting. Yeah. Know, a lot of different challenges as you try to scale that up. Yeah. So like during the time when you were still, you, you'd launched on product hunt, you had the six to eight to 10 months or whatever of kind of like, well, we're not really putting gasoline on it because we're yeah. still kind of unsure we're trying to do these things out. Were you actively trying to raise funding at that point? 
No, we weren't actually. We were. Um, so we had this idea in our head that we wanted to really make sure this was something before we tried to raise any money. And um, I mean, that was, I think, super prudent, especially at the time. Like, we, we just weren't sure, is this something that we can actually build a business around? And, and you know, what what's the most interesting part of this f- platform from an investment, you know, standpoint? Um, so as we started getting traction and then we, as we started seeing it grow on its own, um, in that sort of viral fashion, we were like, okay, it's, it's probably time to go raise, you know, we have, we have traction, we have numbers, we have enough to present, uh, investors and, and to see how that goes. So yeah, it's a very conscious decision. So you, um, you were successful in raising whenever you did start, I think probably soon after that, uh, you've, uh, got some great investors that are mm-hmm. on, that are on that role. Maybe talk about kind of during that process. Um, were there times when you hadn't got the investment? They were like, should we keep going? <laughs> like, did you want to just uh, be like, oh, no, actually, I mean, we were, we were sort of lucky enough that, um, we are very positive and we were, we knew investment was coming because of the reaction that we had gotten from the, the people we had pitched, um, people were just really excited about it because it was just such a new thing, such a like, sort of strange but interesting concept. Um, I mean, I think you know our lead investor gave us a, a term sheet an hour after the initial meeting, and she's just like... Oh, really? Yeah, she's like, I want to be the lead. Don't talk to anybody else. Let me be your lead. You know, it was just really amazing. So I think that really gave us a positive uh, sort of a, a boost in terms of the viability of the product. So wow, that's awesome, man. Uh, and now you guys are in that scale mode. Like I know we, we, we obviously kind of have you guys, uh, we're fortunate to have you in our offices and, you know, seeing you adding new people, um, you know, <laughs> almost uh, daily, <laughs> it just <laughs> yeah. definitely seems like, yeah. so, you know, going from the initial idea to scale, raising the money and, and you're sprinting, right. You know, you're, yeah. you're on the path to, to growth. You're seeing that both from the user base as well as a team. And so you're trying to, to scale, uh, you know, a talented uh, group of people here. Yeah. Um, how have you kind of, and again, maybe this goes back to a little bit on your personal side, mm. transitioning from, you know, engineer to founder to founder and CTO mm. to like, now you're at a company where you're scaling and you're able to imprint, this is the culture we want. Yeah. And these are the people we want with yep. this type of skills. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty weighty question. It um, is. I think uh, the thing that sticks out in my mind that I, I remember, um, is, you know, at Civil Beat, uh, Randy was a co-founder of that, Randy Ching. He really instilled in me, just as I was kind of observing him, he, he really instilled in me that culture is, is taught, it's purposeful, it's um, something you have to work at, and you know it, it comes from the top down, in a sense. So that's something I was really cognizant of, and I really wanted to make sure that you know we have an awesome culture and that we actually work at trying to make it better um, you know, daily with, with whoever we work with. So that was like a guiding principle as we started, you know, finding people to work with and, and hiring people and um, sort of scaling up engineering and, and the rest of the team. Now, did you find that your uh, kind of experience with Fast Customer working on a remote team kind of has helped? Because you have, you know, several yeah. remote team members. We do. And I'll say it, it has uh, helped in a good way and a bad way, in a sense. Um, you know, through that experience, I really learned that being in person is just really important. And you know, we do have remote people, um, but we try to either get them out to Hawaii as, as often as possible, or we're trying to you know convince them to move out here permanently. Um, and I think just you know some, there's something about like showing up to work and being able to collaborate with people in a room. You know the feedback loop is so much smaller than having to like type something up or have a Skype call about it or you know Slack you know Slack conversation. Um, you can just go to a whiteboard and, and draw stuff out and make a decision right there, you know? So that was something I missed during Fast Customer is just that collaboration. But I knew whenever we got together as a team at Fast Customer that it was just amazing. And we would make so much more progress in that one week time hmm. uh, time frame than, you know, seemingly all the other weeks uh, between them. So that was something we really wanted to do from the start. You know, even the people that we that can't come because they have family or whatever, we, we try to fly them out here as often as possible. Yeah. So you kind of obviously have a preference or bias towards being in person and having the team all in one place, but understanding, especially, you know, we're in a a smaller market here in Hawaii. Um, We've, I've kind of been, you know, talked about a proponent, you know, world-class software is being built here, but world-class teams are very, you know, remote all around the world. There's talent everywhere. You have team members from all over the country and globe even already. (laughs) You know, it's funny because 
on one hand, that's it's very true that it's nice to have people in a room. But on the other hand, too, if you want the best people, you have to be willing to to go find them and yeah. get them wherever they are. You know, and and uh, it's just it's a testament to how good um, the people on our team are is that we we found them they're remote and we're like this is awesome we're so glad we have you we're so lucky to have you yeah. even if you're you know 2,000 miles away or whatever um, so there's that sort of fine line of, of, of being willing and able to, to be here locally but also being willing to find someone remote because they're they're just that good that you want to keep them yeah you know well, I mean, maybe, I mean, can you talk about one of your, your team members who had prior success or had been a founder and he's a data scientist? He wants to come. <laughs> yeah. But he's excited to, Sebastian's like. actually going to be here next week, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of great team, member, team members. Uh, Ashwin's really interesting. He's a data scientist. So he's working on growth and that's his full-time job. And we, we really wanted to. We, we knew we needed that position of somebody who's just in charge of making sure we grow, right? And I think a lot of small companies, um, early startups, they kind of overlook that. And they're like, oh, let's just work on the product. If we make the product better, people will come. And uh, that's not necessarily true. You know, people have to know about the product in order to want to use it. Um, so, you know, having someone with a data science degree background and and that ability it just really gives us insight into all these sort of dark nooks and crannies of the of the service like where are people dropping off and you know how can we you know increase a few uh, increase engagement or increase uh, you know downloads by big margins by just changing a few words you know hmm. that's somebody's if that's somebody's job and and they're constantly working on that uh, you experience these really interesting growths you know just sort of tweaking what it's you gold have. mines based yeah. on your existing yeah. yeah I mean, I, it's so silly, but the the part where it was kind of uh, crazy to me is we changed our app icon and we did a rebrand uh, recently. And when we first launched it, um, our download numbers kind of tanked. We're just like, you know, what's going on? Uh, we we changed a lot of things. So we, were, we were wondering, you know, what it could possibly be. And so Ashwin just started like running tests for everything, just started testing everything. And we found that, you know, the color of the app icon was too flat essentially and so we changed really? it yeah so we changed it and it has like a slight gradient now but that performed 300 times better than oh my the, gosh. the existing yeah one. and that's just insight you don't have if someone's not working on it, how you know? how like this is crazy a, yeah a it's just obscure is that i just <laughs> like, have no idea how are we works, as humans so that <laughs> darn like fickle it's like it's true it's just goodness. so fickle and then you know you compound you know, five or six of those little tests and now all of a sudden you're growing at an increase crazy rate because of these little tiny yeah. optimizations that you've huh. made um so it's super important and you know to have someone solely focused on that is like a it's a really big deal that's really interesting too because it's not just like oh this was this huge idea right we talk about like the dropbox referral models like hey get more space or hot hotmail putting on sent right. with love by hotmail or whatever it was like yeah. and then you know these are the huge viral growth mechanisms but reality is for even a lot of different companies it's even like without having an Ashwin on your team, yeah. so to speak, not exactly. just somebody looking at it full time, but someone that knows where to look. Exactly. Like yeah. how powerful is that? That's really cool. Um, so we'll kind of wrap up with Hobnob and I know uh, you got, you got to get out of here. So we'll kind of then do some rapid fire Q and a, but um, the last thing with Hobnob, I just want to see is like, what, what exciting things you got coming down the pipe that, that you can share um, that we would be uh, that I can share. Excited that's, to that's hear uh, about. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of stuff. We have many, places that we're looking to both kind of make the product better and then also um, increase, um, I guess, how you can use the products, right? Mm. So two things, just like, you know, chat for us has been uh, one of those gross pieces of the product that we just really don't like and it just works terribly right now. So we're, we're working on fixing that uh, in a really big way. <clears throat> and so we're excited about that. And then um, we're also, you know, we're going we're gonna to probably end up doing, like, email delivery, which is a very, very requested feature. Um, so, like, first-rate email delivery, something akin to, you know, Eventbrite or whatever. Um, so those are kind of the, the next big things for us to tackle and get out. Um, another big thing we're going to do is co-hosting, which is kind mm. of an interesting thing, uh, allowing someone to, to sort of use their phone book and let you leverage, like, a group of people's phone books to invite a cohort of people. Um, so that'll be interesting. Yeah. Wow. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm and a couple other things I can't talk about. Yeah, I'm sure. Cool. Um, hey, let's get into rapid fire Q and A. All right. I'm ready. You ready? Hit me. Okay. I don't know what this is about. So. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it'll be fun. Tough question. What is your favorite thing about Hawaii? 
Oh, <clears throat> actually, the people. Um, when I first got here, I'd say, you know, it's obviously beautiful, but what kept me here was, like, the people are awesome. I, l- I love the people. So speaking of beautiful Hawaii, do you have a favorite beach in Hawaii? Favorite beach? Um, it used to be Lanikai, but now it's so crowded and gross that I hardly ever go there. <laughs> so, so yeah, I can't tourists. believe you just called Lanikai gross. No, there's so many tourists now. It's, like, super <laughs> weird. I don't know. They put it in a magazine, and then all of a sudden it's, like, yeah, well, it is. It is a quite picturesque, yeah. incredible beach. Um, maybe go there at night, and there won't be as many people. <laughs> um, uh, let's uh, like, if we were to put together kind of Mark's entrepreneurial toolkit, mm. uh, what are some of the top like tools that you're using right now that like you couldn't live without? Um, just general tools, or yeah, I know you use probably like a hundred on a day to day basis. Yeah. But if you were to just think off the top of your head in terms of your day to day, like, oh, what would I do without that? Um, honestly, Slack comes to mind, um, the first thing and, and not just Slack because it's a chat tool, but because we actually use it in kind of a unique way. Um, we have built a ton of custom integrations into, into Slack. So really it's kind of our dashboard for, for it's like the heartbeat of Hobnob and it tells us everything that's going on. This I want to have like a separate podcast where I interview <laughs> you about your Slack setup. Cause I yeah. did that slide for that presentation yeah. and, um, uh, yeah, so much there. Yeah, so we have, there's just a lot there, and um, that has really kind of become our, our, our go-to for, you know, just everything hobnob. I, I can just turn to one place and kind of see yeah. see everything. So that's the one thing that comes to mind. Um, honestly, like, pencil and paper a lot of times and, and a whiteboard are the biggest collaboration really? tools. Really? Going have. analog, yeah. huh? Um, I think whiteboards and, and just having people in one place is a really powerful way to get stuff done, so... Do you have a uh, favorite blog or podcast that you read or, or listen to all the time? Uh, not favorite. I've been listening to um, the startup, the Y Combinator startup podcast. I forget what it's called, but yeah. Startup School, I think, by Aaron. No, uh, not that one. It's Harris. Um, oh, the Sam Altman startup class. No, sorry. It is Aaron Harris. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, okay. Aaron Harris. So gotcha. I listen to that one. That's pretty interesting. Like interviewing the Y Combinator uh, execs or different yeah, people, right? Exactly. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yep. For sure. Um, do you have a book that you've read multiple times or gifted multiple times? Gifted multiple times? Um, related to startups? doesn't have to be, no. Uh, gifted multiple times, no. I mean, I read different things, but not, not something I would force on someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I would force on someone else. Uh, people respect your opinion. They want to hear uh, you know, what kind of books you like. Um, so this is a... Um, uh, you know, more personal question or I guess professional career wise, you know, do you have someone that's kind of inspired you in your career somebody that you look up to? Hmm. Um, I have some like, like personal mentors that I've looked up to, you know, for example, like I have this one mentor, um, is a pretty high up engineer at, at Boeing, really interesting guy, uh, super smart. And, you know, I knew him as a kid and I just knew he worked on satellites and stuff in space and it was just like a really cool thing. And, um, so yeah, he he was really interesting because he was like someone I could relate to. wasn't this like, you know, I could say Steve Jobs, right? Um, mm-hmm. but I didn't know Steve Jobs, so, you know, this guy, for example, was just like something I could wrap my head around. And it was really interesting because you can talk to him, right? You can actually ask him questions, and I think that's just way more valuable than you know, just some figurehead that you you want to admire. Although I did did admire Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think Steve Jobs, uh, Elon Musk has been a common uh, refrain that we've heard yeah. in terms of, obviously, I think every entrepreneur really kind of respects his his salt to what he's been able to accomplish on, on such a massive scale yeah. for everybody looking at, uh, you know, some of the hardest companies in the world to start. And yep. he goes and does them and does them exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of want to wrap up with maybe some of your last tips for entrepreneurs, but... Before we do that, I did actually just want to uh, kind of recognize you just on a personal level. Uh, you know, you've kind of been someone that I've looked up to that I've been able to rely on for personal and professional advice. And I really just appreciate you not only taking your time here, admire a lot of things about you, your hair being one. Um, <laughs> that but, I have hair. Uh, that you have hair. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, I did just, uh, um, you know, I think you're such an asset to this community in Hawaii. And so we talk about you kind of having that the mindset to stay here and, you know, whether, you know, not having a crystal ball, whatever kind of the, the timeline looks like in the next five, 10 years, you know, you're, you're here now, you're doing great things. And I just wanted to. Thanks, man. Know, That's awesome. Appreciate, appreciate that. that. But um, so with that, what is kind of your final tips if you were to give for an entrepreneur today? Oh, um, 
I think a couple of big ones that stick out are um, like, don't be afraid. I, I think that's a big one. And, and fear comes in many, in many uh, forms. You know, I think for me, for example, fear of, of not knowing enough or not being able to sort of uh, play in the, in the big boys game. I think that's a, that's a big one, you know, that you just be overcome by doing, right. You just mm. have to get out there and do it. And you realize that, you know, people are human and you can do it. And so just do it, you know? Um, so I think that was, that was something like personally, um, another thing is like, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. I think, um, you know, expanding your, your personal network of, of people you can rely on and, and mentors, um, that's just a huge, a huge deal because as you collect mentors, you know, uh, mentors will point to you in the direction of other mentors. And there's just such an amazing, uh, knowledge base you can, you can glean from these people who have sort of been through the fire already and, uh, learned a bunch of stuff and, and you can kind of short circuit your knowledge curve by just asking questions, you know? So I think that's another one. Um, I think the the big one for me has just been you know don't stop, you know just keep going. If you if you can find a thread and tug on it and you and you see that things are are interesting or going well, just like keep going, persevere, because uh, that's what really gets you to the next step. You know, um, yeah. And I think actually I actually have one more. So the last one I'd say uh, some a guiding principle for myself has been you know make the hard choice, and that's something we keep coming back to. Like Tiff and I, it's just like. Whenever we come to a big decision like staying in Hawaii and becoming an entrepreneur or, or, you know, moving to San Francisco and taking a job, we think, you know, what's the harder choice? And staying here and trying to make it on our own was the harder choice. So we, we made that choice, you know, and I've never regretted a choice where I've been like, oh, I'm going to make the harder choice this time, you know, so. Wow. Four for one. Yeah. Man, that was amazing. Should have just started off with that and then write a book. (laughs) What are your Mark Casada? What are your other ten short book? Ten tips. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, very insightful as always. Really appreciate uh, the time we got to chat today and um, take time out of your busy schedule. Uh, Yeah, man. Growing an amazing company. I'm stoked. Hawaii is awesome. (laughs) Stay here. Grow companies. Fist bump. All right, man. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, brother. Mark, my friend, you are awesome. Always a pleasure chatting with him. I had a great time. You know, if you guys would like to get updates on new episodes right when they come out, then sign up for the newsletter. Just head over to sultanventures.com, scroll down to the footer where you can input your email. Please share this episode, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review on iTunes. That would be amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is the Startup Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker, signing off. Tune in next Thursday for our episode where we chat with Gabe Mott, CEO and founder of Hudoku. What was it like working with Pierre Amidyar? Um, It was really interesting, actually. Uh, You know, most human beings have this innate, like, uh, restraint about their ideas. You know, people have this, like, you know, you know, you pretty good idea of what they can and can't do. And, and, you know, as another human being, you look at that, you're like, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Uh, but working with Pierre, you're just constantly in meetings and in, in discussions where it's like, he's like, well, why does gravity have to exist? And you're <laughs> like, what? You're right. You know, and it's just like, when you have that sort of influence and you have that, those sort of resources, you can, you can afford to say something like, no, why don't we just purchase the whole company and, and do this ourselves? Or why don't, you know, you can think big like that. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I had from, from working with Pierre is just like stop thinking about your own constraints and just think about what you could do if you didn't have constraints around you, you know? What would you do if you could buy that company or instead of building yourself, you know? And uh, It's like boiler room, act as if. Yeah, in a, in a sense, it's just like he had no limits on what he could, uh, you know, realistically do. So it was really about like, what's the right thing? You hmm. know, what's the right thing to do? So he really, really taught me by example to think big about a problem. That's really cool. Yeah. Any, any like really good stories? I got to ride in his Tesla. That was pretty awesome. Oh yeah, that was probably when there was like only a few Teslas he, on the island. Yeah, I think he had the first or second one. I think he was either mad or happy because he had the first or second one. I forget, <laughs> somebody else had one, so yeah. yeah. So that was pretty cool, but uh yeah, just a really interesting guy, very down to earth. Um, but again, just like 
you could tell that he just thought at a totally different level because he he had the ability to you know he could think about things without uh restraints or without boundaries it's pretty cool that's inspiring yeah good good story thanks man yeah